The Headache and Migraine News Podcast. The latest news and tips for those with headaches, migraine, and cluster headache around the world with health writer and researcher James Cottrell. Hello, James here. It's good to be back. This is the second Headache and Migraine News Podcast. So, so far, so good. You should see, if you go to the website, headacheandmigrainenews.com, you should see a link on the sidebar to sign up to the podcast specifically. So if you want to sign up in iTunes or whatever other program, Winamp or whatever you use to sign up for podcasts, you can specifically get notified whenever there is a new podcast and it will download automatically to your computer. So if you know how to do those things or if you want to figure it out, you can sign up for the podcast and be right ready to listen whenever there is a new one. I'm going to start off today by reading a comment that was left. This was left by Sue on the blog, and this was after the the article, What is Migraine? The Life Impact Story. And if you haven't read that, that's something you're going to want to take a look at. And this is what she said. Thanks so much for the information. I have been a migraine groupie for many years. I could run my own pharmacy with the drugs I have taken and currently take. I am happy if I can keep the migraines at bay. I take feverfew and propranolol, which helps on a daily basis. I was at my doctor's last week, and he is frustrated just as much as me. Well, maybe not as much, but almost. He suggested that I get my oxygen level tested at night. I know that I don't stop breathing, but I was shocked to find out how shallow my breathing is at night. I had over 14 incidents where it dropped dangerously low. I am now on oxygen at night, 2 liters, and I haven't had a migraine in 6 days, which can be a record for me. I've gone longer, 2 months, but that is rare. Getting used to the nasal cannula has been the most trying, but I am now sleeping through the night and I don't wake up with a migraine. I just retired from teaching special education for 29 years, and I can count on one hand the times I had to stay home due to a headache. I forced myself to deal with it and to keep the drugs handy, but not to wake up with a migraine. Wow, I just hope it continues. I am still being tested and evaluated, but at least I have found one thing that is working for me. It's nice to have a resource of friends who won't say it's all in my head. I thought there was probably a few things in that comment that many, many of you could relate to. And she brings up a very, very important issue, and it's one that we have been talking about. We've talked about it in the free e-zine, Headway. We've talked about it on the blog, and we're going to talk about it today, and that is sleep apnea. Sleep apnea is something that has been very commonly linked to cluster headache. It has been newly linked to migraine. I suspect that it just hasn't been studied enough. I think we're going to find a closer link to migraine. And really any kind of headache, especially headaches that you wake up with, have been associated with sleep apnea. So let me just give you a little bit of background and then we're going to talk about what you can do about it, maybe even right now. Sleep apnea is something that's been kind of known about for quite some time, but it wasn't really until 1965 that some French researchers actually figured out what was going on and started really diagnosing it and looking for some treatments and 
the treatment didn't come until quite a bit later. So really, this is a fairly new field of study, and we're still learning things about it. Basically, what's happening is when you're sleeping, you stop breathing for an unusual amount of time, maybe 30 seconds, for example, or you take some shallow breaths. So your body starts getting low on oxygen, and your body realizes it, and it'll rouse you a little bit so that you can catch up on your breathing. So often what happens if you if you are with someone with sleep apnea and they're sleeping, their breathing will stop or will get shallow and then quickly start again with kind of a snort. Often people that have sleep apnea snore. This is obviously, you can tell right now, some of the problems that are that are going to happen here because first of all, you have sleep apnea and you are being slightly roused. You may not completely wake up, but you're not really getting a good night's sleep. Other problems, of course, are the lack of balance in your oxygen levels. So this can cause all kinds of problems. Um, there's three different kinds of sleep apnea. One's called obstructive, that's the most common. One is central, and one is called mixed. And I won't get into all the details of the different kinds of sleep apnea right now. But let me just tell you some of the things that, problems that might be caused. A couple of recent studies, Ohio State University did a study on sleep apnea and diabetes. They found that sleep apnea may actually make diabetes worse. In fact, it may actually cause diabetes in some people. And there's technical reasons for that, uh, the way the oxygen is used in your body. But that's a pretty significant issue. And uh, this confirms a study at UCLA that was done earlier that found that people with sleep apnea were three times more likely to have diabetes. Another recent study, just in January 2009, the discovery basically was that people with sleep apnea have decreased blood flow, increased blood pressure, and what happens is there's basically decreased blood flow to your brain, so this increases the risk of stroke and they're investigating certain dr drugs to help restore brain function that is impaired due to sleep apnea. That was done at Yale University in Connecticut in the United States. So this is a good sampling of some of the risks that can come from sleep apnea. Uh, you're at an increased risk for heart attack. Obviously we've already talked about the connection to headache, migraine, and cluster headache. A study I wrote about quite some time ago at Headache and Migraine News was a study with children finding that children had unusual sleep breathing disorders, uh, unusual number of sleep breathing disorders with migraine. <laughs> In other words, if they had migraine, they were far more likely to also have sleep breathing disorders. So I think there's a pretty clear connection here. And the problem is not a lot of people are actually being tested and diagnose. This isn't the first thing your doctor will say when you come to him with a headache. Oh, well, let's check for sleep apnea. So a lot of people are going an awfully long time with this issue not being addressed. So let's talk about what exactly, how, how might you know that you have sleep apnea? It's really, really important, and I, I've emphasized this before, and I'm going to write more on it in the future. Uh, it's very easy with so many treatments out there, so many things to think about with migraine, whatever your issue may be. It's very easy to go running off in all directions, be completely overwhelmed, not know what to try next. 
And so what we need to look at is really focusing in on what treatments have the best chance of success for you. So when you're looking at different kind of different kinds of treatments, different possibilities that things that may be triggering your migraine attacks or whatever, you need to look at what exactly is most likely for you. And so that's what we're going to do with sleep apnea. We're going to take a look at what are the chances that this is actually an issue for you. A lot of time you look at the symptoms of some of these things like sleep apnea. Uh, for example, fatigue. Fatigue during the day. Well, you know what? Um, if you have any kind of chronic headache, you're likely to be fatigued during the day whether you have sleep apnea or not. So you can look at a lot of the symptoms for a lot of things and say, oh yeah, that looks like me. I've got sleep apnea. I've got uh, um, whatever issue it may be. So anyway, that is a big one though. Fatigue during the day. Um, being tired and sleepy. Especially waking up really fatigued. What's happening oftentimes in sleep apnea is that your sleep could actually be doing you more harm than good. Now, of course, you need to get that rest at night. But um, as we've seen there could be some damage that's being done by the sleep apnea. So if you're waking up really tired, if you're waking up with a headache first thing in the morning, that's a definite sign that you could be having sleep uh, sleep apnea. Insomnia. You feel like you're not getting a good night's sleep. You're waking up a lot. Again, that's not necessarily the case with sleep apnea. You may not really realize it. You just may not be getting a deep sleep. But on the other hand, you could actually be having trouble sleeping and waking up a lot. And I already mentioned snoring. Snoring is something that we uh, tend to joke about and not take seriously. But snoring, whether it be in adults or in children, could be a sign of sleep apnea. And especially snoring early in the evening. If you fall asleep and begin snoring right away, that could be a sign of sleep apnea. Now, none of these things are really definitive. Whether if you have all those symptoms or you don't have any of them, neither of those things necessarily prove that you do or do not have sleep apnea. But what you need to do, if you suspect this could be a problem, is you need to go to your doctor and see if you can get uh, polysomnography. Polysomnography is basically a set of tests that are done while you sleep at night. And I think a lot of people are a little bit scared about uh, sleep tests, going to sleep in a in a lab, um, feeling like you're being poked and prodded and wondering if you're going to have an awful night and wake up terribly sick. And the good news is it's not quite as bad as you might imagine. Most people don't have any problem falling asleep when they're having sleep tests done at a sleep clinic. So you don't need to worry about that. Don't be afraid of it. It's something that will take one night and may make a significant improvement in your health. It's actually, as I said, a series of tests. So they are going to check and check your things like rapid eye movement, check the functions of your body throughout the night and your breathing and see what kind of sleep you're getting from a variety of angles. And it is not always obvious in other words, you're not always going to come out knowing for sure if you have sleep apnea or not, but oftentimes you will, and you'll get it, or you've got a pretty good idea, and you'll be able to move ahead with some treatment. So that is really the best thing to do. If you suspect that you have sleep apnea, your number one job really is to get what's called, again, a polysomnography. 
And if you have trouble getting to sleep at night, another thing you can do is just try saying that word over and over, and it'll probably put you to sleep. Polysomnography is the word. All right. Now, there are some things. That being said, there are some things you can do to have less of a risk of sleep apnea at night on any given night. Now, sleep apnea has traditionally been connected with obesity. We know now that it is not only obese people that get sleep apnea, but it is a risk factor. So you certainly want to deal with that as much as possible. But there are some other things you can do. There is some evidence that, and this is a new study that was done by Dr. Douglas Bradley. I wrote about it at Headache and Migraine News. He is from the Toronto Rehabilitation Institute in Canada. And he found that fluid retention was connected to sleep apnea. So what was happening is, especially people that were sitting a lot, in one position a lot during the day, the fluid in their body tended to collect in their legs. And when they laid down at night to go to sleep, that fluid would redistribute in their body and a lot of it would go up towards their head and their neck. And so the measurement he did is he actually measured the circumference of people's necks and found that people that were sitting a lot during the day, their neck circumference increased. And he believes this may be causing the sleep apnea, may be causing obstructions and causing breathing difficulties. So it's a very, very interesting theory and we're certainly looking for more studies on that but meanwhile there's some things you can do about that one thing you can do is make sure you're not eating too much salt make sure you're drinking lots of water and his uh, dr. Bradley's biggest suggestion was just to be more active during the day so if you're sitting at a desk a lot make sure you're getting up and walking around every once in a while don't let that fluid basically um, get all stuck in your legs. Make sure you're moving around and getting some exercise. I have a friend who is very knowledgeable in the area of bodybuilding, and he said to me one time that one of the best exercises you can do is squats. And uh, I've actually had this confirmed over and over again as I'm reading and researching. Simply doing squats where you're standing straight, bending your knees, and going all the way to the ground with your feet flat as flat as possible on the ground and then up again it's an excellent excellent exercise very very simple easy to do you can do it anywhere and it gives that full range of motion to your legs and so it just does a lot of good things in the body and that might be one thing you want to do if you want to try a simple exercise that you can do throughout the day another interesting suggestion that is made for people with sleep apnea is your sleeping position and there's a couple different concepts in this basically the worst possible position you can have if you have sleep apnea is sleeping on your back so any other position than on your back is better now dr. Bradley suggested that maybe one solution would be to elevate the head of your bed and we've talked about this before we, we've uh, heard about this before as a treatment for migraine but um, that is definitely one suggestion you could take it basically keeps the fluid in your body from 
going up around your head and neck during the night. The more traditional suggestion for sleep apnea is sleeping on your side, and that may be something that's easier for some of you to do. And the Mayo Clinic had an interesting suggestion for this, and that is sew a tennis ball in the back of your pajamas. So if you're wearing a pajama shirt, sew a tennis ball in the back of it, so it's extremely uncomfortable if you try and sleep on your back. So hey, if that works, if you you tend to sleep on your back and need that extra motivation, go ahead and sew a tennis ball into the back of your pajamas. All right, there are a few suggestions for dealing with sleep apnea. Again, I encourage you to talk to your doctor if you're having issues and you think that this may be possible trigger of your migraine attacks or uh, making your cluster headache worse or other types of headache. Again, snoring, especially if it's early on in the evening, being tired and sleepy during the day, waking up with a headache, and insomnia are all possible signs of sleep apnea. Sometimes it's very, very hard to notice, but it is possible if you've got someone that can watch you when you first fall asleep. A very, very common, easy to spot sleep apnea would be if you stop breathing for, say, a few seconds, maybe 30 seconds, and then you kind of snort and start breathing again. If that happens, it's quite obvious that there is sleep apnea going on. Um, if that doesn't happen, it doesn't mean you don't have sleep apnea, but that would be a very obvious sign. So that is one thing you can do if you have someone that can be with you when you're falling asleep. All right, that's all for today. I hope you have found that helpful. Please leave your comments if you've had experiences with sleep apnea or you have a comment about the podcast, or just leave a comment if you think it's a great idea or if you think there could be some improvements made. We're always happy to do that, and I'm happy to hear your comments and ideas. But for now, I hope you have great health. I hope you have a good night's sleep, and we will talk to you another time. Remember, you can always visit at headacheandmigrainenews.com. This is James. Bye for now.